name is Jen Bowden, and I believe that building the life of your dreams starts with doing things every single day that you're probably not very good at yet. Also, if you'd like to chat more about the podcast, I'd love to do that. And the best way is probably to follow me on Instagram. I'm Jenny with an I dot Bowden. And don't forget, if you love the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Hello, we are back again, and I would like you all to meet my dad. Hi. (laughs) This is, his name's Scott. He's really awesome. And he also has spent a lot of his life learning about finances, working in industries that are related to finance and money and all that sort of stuff. Is that fair? Sure. Mostly, I mean, just... It's fun, you know, it's one of my hobbies to follow the financial markets and find ways to do better, so, yeah. Look at money, and look at numbers, play with numbers, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, anyways, we decided it would be fun and pertinent to do a podcast today uh, around money and specifically around debt. And right away, we, we started talking about this and we both... We were both excited right off the bat. There's just so much good stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad pulled up this article right away that he, he'll share kind of a few points with us right now. Um, what was the title of that? Uh, I can't remember. It was, I think it was that 46% of Canadians are $200 away from insolvency. Okay. That sounded scary to me right away, and I didn't even know what insolvency meant. Can you explain that to us? Well, insolvency is a point at which you can no longer pay your bills. So you don't have enough cash available, either from income or from savings, to pay your bills, whether it be mortgage or your gas bill or whatever. So if you can imagine half of the country being in a position where if there's the slightest little hiccup, they're all of a sudden not paying important things like their mortgage and their gas bill, et cetera. And, of course, bad stuff starts to happen when you can't pay your bills. Yeah, and what, what, what's, what do you mean by a hiccup? Like, what could we be well, just, expecting yeah. when you say the hiccup? Well, we have hiccups all the time, right, yeah. in the economy, right? Um, yeah, I, of course, I did my undergraduate degree in economics, and... Um, and we have cycles in the economy, and we have kind of boom times and down times. Uh, most notably, the, the bull run in the stock market that we've seen since the downturn in 2008 has been the longest bull run, and I'm not sure when, maybe history, right? It's been a very long 10-year solid year-over-year constant increases, right? Typically, after such a long run, we would expect a correction of some kind. And so that would be typical of a, of a hiccup. And it affects everybody. Everybody's, you know, the, the value of the portfolios drops. Companies kind of cut staff to try to try to maintain profitability, et cetera. And so if you get caught in the middle of that, and virtually everybody does in some way, and you're $200 away from insolvency, that's a pretty scary place to be. Yeah, and I, I've heard it kind of said almost in the opposite way, like we've sat down with a financial advisor before who had this little PowerPoint presentation to show us and he pointed us to 2008 and 
to kind of say that was the worst it's been and you guys lived through it. Mm. Like, you're fine. Nothing really, like, think about 2008. Did anything really bad happen to you? Probably not. How old was I in 2008? I'm trying to think. That was, like, 10 years ago. Right. I was, like, 19. I didn't have any money. So, no, nothing bad did happen to <laughs> you me. You survived. I didn't have any debt. I didn't have any money. started having nothing, and you finished having <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, it's kind of, for someone my age, looking back to that period of it's time, not that relevant, it doesn't sure. mean anything. When you but get to for the you... Point, yeah, when you get to the point, especially, I mean, I'm at a totally different stage because I'm kind of approaching retirement, and I simply can't afford... A, a hiccup in no. my in my plan, right? I kind of need to be careful and and prudent because I've whatever resources that I have available to me took a lifetime to amass, and I don't have a lifetime left to fix the problem if if I lose it, kind of thing. Right, and what you're what you're saying about most people in our societies, though, that they don't they don't haven't even though they may have been living as long as you, they might not have anything amassed. Anyways. No, I mean, it's, um, what, what did I just read? That, uh, that something like 40, 30, 40% of Canadians have no savings going into retirement. It's just a, that is millions and millions of people. Well, it's about 10 million people to be exact. Yeah. That, uh, that simply don't have a plan. They're going to, they're winging it going into retirement where they have little to no income and their expenses just keep on going. So. Not uh, not a good place to be. That's not a good place to be. So what is that? And maybe we've kind of answered this question to some extent already, but what are those, those figures in that article, what does it kind of say about where we might be headed as a country? Because I think we, we didn't, we talked about this earlier, but that... Well, well Canada's, Canada's kind of in a in a somewhat unique position. We kind of hear that the US economy, in spite of all the language, is still in pretty good shape and pretty strong, and they're starting to increase interest rate after many years of seeing declining or, or at least level uh, interest rates. They're starting to, to bump interest rates up in the US. Canada is kind of obliged to follow suit, and that's a problem because the Canadian economy is not doing as well as the American economy. So you can imagine, imagine a case where the Canadian economy, all of the interest rates go up, but none of the economic prosperity is there to support it. Right. So all of a sudden, people that are kind of leveraged to the hilt and big mortgages and so on, uh, see their mortgage go from 2.8% to 4.8%, and they are, they are gasping for air at that point, right? Yeah, so, and for historically... That's not a high place for mortgages to be Oh, my at. gosh, no. I mean, I, you know, towards the end of the 80s, uh, th we were seeing rates that were like 15, 18%. Can you imagine that? Yeah. 18%, that's no, like... No, but yeah. That's like credit card interest on your mortgage. I mean, no, who could survive that, right? But people lived through that, and... Um, and but are they going to live through it? Well, obviously they'll live, but are, how are we going to... How do we weather... A situation like that now. I think t today, if we ever saw, I, I mean, nobody's predicting that we were going back to eighteen percent, but it doesn't take that, right? I mean, if you if the interest rate goes from kind of two point eight to four point eight, your payment goes up by not double, but it goes up a lot, a lot, maybe fifty percent, right? So. 
people normally kind of, the mortgage is one of their biggest expenditures and they're not counting on it going up by 50%. So you pay 50% more for your biggest expenditure and you get nothing extra other than the, the privilege of continuing to live in your home. So, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Canada's in a special place now and they're saying that uh, for the first time in almost 100 years, Canada may suffer a recession all by itself without uh, the U.S. going into recession. Because time. of our consumer debt. Because of our consumer debt. Which is, which is higher than the U.S. is right now. Yeah. Tell we, us about that. Well, you, we talked briefly about this before, that um, what happened, of course, in the 2008 crisis, uh, there was a big housing crunch in the U.S., and housing, and certainly more, uh, more in some pockets than others, but uh, there were there was widespread, um, you know, problems in the mortgage mortgage uh, market. Uh, the subprime mortgages were were struggling, and as a result, uh, home prices plummeted. And so, you know, Canada went through this, and we just simply didn't suffer that downturn in the housing market. So we slapped ourselves on the back and talked about how clever we were and how much better our banking system was. But as a result of that, Americans got smart and they really deleveraged. In other words, they got out of debt after 2008. Canadians did not. We doubled down and now our per capita debt is about as bad as it's ever been. So we think we're invincible. At yeah, this point. that's right, because we have a better system. And, we, and it so can't we can just spend as much money without actually making it as we want. I think that's that. the sentiment, right? And plus, yeah. Because our, our home prices have been going up so steadily, people kind of use their home equity as a piggy bank, right? So they, you know, people, you know, companies are touting lines of credit. If you, if you own a home, you're approved, right? So, right. so just having a home, uh, you know, lenders are anxious to get you to tap into your piggy bank so they can charge a higher interest and, uh, and you get further into debt. And you feel like, well, my house just keeps going up anyway, so... It's never going to end, right? Yeah, there's no talk, like among my peers anyways, mm. about paying off your house or mm. paying off your house quickly. That just doesn't even seem to be... A priority at a all. A priority yeah. or on people's radar even. Mm -hmm. I and mean, maybe it's because people are kind of like just getting into houses now in my circles. Still but, young, yeah. but still at the same time, that just doesn't really seem to be something that... Yeah, because like, why would you? And that's that's what... Well, m most people really have to stretch, don't yeah. they, to get into a house. And so they're not thinking about, you know, 10-year amortization periods. They're stretching it out for the to the max, right? Yeah. So just so they can make the numbers work. Um, so it's great that they can get into a house. Uh, not so great that, that they are looking at 30, 30 years before they can uh, pay it off if everything goes well. So. Yeah, it's really not. Um, and that's... That's not something that I'm hearing talked about in my peer group. That doesn't mean it's not something that people in the world aren't talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I really like Dave Ramsey, for example, and I really like his uh, seven steps. We just we just talked about them, and I went away for it. So for, let, let me pull that out. Seven steps, um, but they're just so they're so basic. And they're so common sense that you almost think... Yeah, and, and they, they're so... I mean, you say Dave Ramsey's seven steps. They're really not Dave Ramsey's seven steps. Because just... every book you read on personal financial management has some version of those seven steps, right? 
You have the wealthy barber. You have the richest man in Babylon. You have rich dad, poor dad. If you, if you comb through those, and of course I have, you'll find the same, the same threads in every single one of them, right? And so, so, yeah, so just these are great steps, but they're not Dave Ramsey steps. They're, they're kind of eternal print financial principles yeah. that always work, right? The, yeah, there's no way that they can't work, basically. That's is what you're, yeah, yeah, if you follow them, which is comforting, really. Mm-hmm. Um, what else can you say that about? Not that many things. Not a bunch of stuff. <laughs> so, well, I guess I guess a lot of things. But anyways, so th- here here they are. If anyone's thinking, oh, where do I go? He just has the very clear cut. Um, step number one is save a thousand dollars. So manageable, right? Like even someone in a really who's not rich can do that over a period right. of time. And you and again in other in other similar volumes. The, the language is save a portion of all that you earn. Yeah. Or save, some will say, save 10% of what you earn, right? Yeah, in order um, to do that gradually. Pay yourself first is another way to say it. Before you pay your bills and pay everybody else, pay yourself first, right? Uh-huh. So this, uh, Dave Ramsey's put a number on it, and, uh, and that's another version of the same thing. Yeah, and then he just says pay off debt. So when mm. he's talking about that, Debt. He's talking about consumer debt, I assume, which is credit cards, uh, what else, like car loans. Sure, what student else can you loans. Have? Student loans. Yeah. That's a great example because I feel like a lot of people really consider that a very smart type of debt to go into. It's a, it's a reasonable kind of debt to go into because you're making an investment that should yield a financial benefit in the future. So it's a, it's a reasonable debt to go into. But at the same time, you really have to consider how you're using those student loans. If you're using more money than you necessarily need to, what kind of job, what, how much money you're going to be making. Mm-hmm. In my case, I knew that I would likely be a stay-at-home mom for a good portion of time after I graduated. You didn't want to be saddled with a bunch of debt. That how, you... how hard would that be on a marriage yeah. if every month we're paying interest for education that yeah. I'm not using because I'm home, at home with the kids right now, that would feel yeah. and, awful. And we were, now this is a different time, but, um, you know, your mom and I did the same thing. We kind of pay it, paid as we went for our education. And even though mom hadn't finished her degree when we were married, she did finish it, and we paid for it as we went along. So we never had any significant, that I can recall, student debt to, to pay for, which, which was, a, you know, it's a blessing for us. And yeah, the the student debt thing is, for us, we really have um, kind of evidence that setting financial goals works from that. Because when Hans and I got married, we sat down, talked about our finances, and we said we each wanted, we've, we had access to student loans, but we wanted to make sure that we paid them off in full the day that each of us graduated. And I was going to graduate two years before he was set to graduate yeah. um, and it seemed like a huge and almost impossible achievement that was we're but talking about it. 10 years of school combined yeah, over the same yeah. period and or clo- overlapping mm-hmm. anyways um, and so that's like more than a doctor would go to school for it's a long time yeah. and uh, and it seemed impossible but we made a goal mm-hmm. and we talked about it a lot and yeah, it was just a priority for you. It just it yeah. we found a way to do it because it was so 
so forefront in our well, minds. Well, and, and, and without that, there are so many neato things that you can buy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just, you know, you'll just be... TVs sure, and, and the latest stuff. phones and yeah. the, yeah. There's just, there's stuff out there, right? And so, But we couldn't buy those things because we had that goal. And see, TVs and phones are fun, right? But you know what's also fun? Paying off debt. It is. If you're, if you're kind of dialed in on that, it's so exciting to pay off debt. It's yeah. like going on a vacation or just, I don't know, going yeah, to Disneyland. Yeah, any kind of thrill, really. It's thrilling. You're, you're basically freeing yourself from servitude. Yeah. How is that not fun, right? I love that. So That's so true. Yeah. Um, his next point, so we've paid off our consumer debt. Um, his next point is get establish a three- to six-month fund. Right. Um, I've heard the same principle from other financial people mm -hmm. as well, but I really like it. We honestly don't really have one specifically set aside right now, and I miss it. Mm -hmm. It was so nice to have it kind of in its own separate account labeled. Untouchable. This yeah. is not untouchable, just um, like because we have used it for things before, right. but... If, if your car dies, if your vehicle dies, you have, oh, you have the money yeah. in reserve. Um, I, I, this it. is one I have a hard time with because my, my tendency is to want to do something that's a little further down on your list, which is to invest. So if I got 10000 extra dollars, I've got to invest it. I just It's so hard for me but not to. But that is the next step. That's that the is the next step It's very least. next. Although everybody that I hear tells me I, I need to put the sock away the cash first. And I've had just a few experiences. I remember once, just for fun, I, I never even, hardly even have like a $100 bill in my wallet. I just don't carry cash, right? But um, for some reason, I got $1,000 out of the bank in crisp hundreds, and I hid it under a chest in our bedroom, right? Yeah. And I just kind of forgot about it. It was there, right? And our car broke. And uh, we had an old beater, and we replaced, replaced it with an old car, too. We paid uh, a friend, uh, I think, $800 for their Jeep. And I had the cash right there. I just pulled it out, handed it the money, and we drove off in our new used car. But that's the thing about that, that fund, that three- to six-month fund, mm -hmm. makes you feel rich. It's peace of mind, sure. Because it's peace, yeah. in, in the peace of mind that it gives, mm -hmm. it makes you feel like you were able to say, I didn't, you didn't have to pull it from anything else. Mm -hmm. It was just there, ready and waiting. That's what mm -hmm. it feels like. Like there are a lot of rich people or people who make a lot of money in the world, like a lot of money coming in that don't even have that. That's true. And if, if I, with my husband who's a teacher's salary and I am as a stay-at-home mom, mm -hmm. have the ability to do that and I can create that for myself, then most I'm, people shouldn't I'm have rich, an excuse, yeah. right? Like that's so satisfying yeah. to just feel like if something happens to us financially, a financial hiccup in our own lives, it's already taken care of. Yeah, that no, feels so no good. No special stress, no bad feelings in the marriage. No, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's we're good to go. Sure. And that's why as soon as you've done that, You've put it away. It's done. You probably won't have to use it for the next five, maybe even ten yeah, and years. And you only if all have goes to do well. it once. So if yeah. you if you had the ability to do that, then after that's done, you have the ability to continue to invest and yeah. grow your. It's capital all and everything's fair. But then it, the reason it's second, I think, and I've I've skimmed his book. I haven't mm -hmm. read it. But the reason I think it's obviously second is because then your investments are safe. You're not having to pull from your investments mm -hmm. and make 
poor investing decisions because your car died mm -hmm. or what someone needs dental work that emergency situation like there's no mm -hmm. there you're not making investing choices out of desperation des exactly yeah. Yeah. which i think you should that's a bad way to invest yeah. right because i have the market's collapsed i need to sell everything right that's yeah. the exactly wrong way or to... our car died i need to sell sure not maybe not everything hey, but hey, some hey that happened to me i you know Case in point, I'll tell you my own sad story that when I was young, one of the very first stocks I bought was Oracle. And Oracle's the one of the biggest computer companies in the world today. And I watched it go from I think something like seven thousand dollars to forty thousand dollars, and I thought I was rich, right? Around that time our car broke and my mother was gonna sell us her car at a, a good price. And so even though my car was still working, I thought I'd rather have my mom's car because it's in better shape and it's newer. So I sold my Oracle stock. Today, that stock would be worth about $4 million. So think about that. Early in my life, because what you're saying maybe, because I didn't have a rainy day fund, mm -hmm. I sold my golden egg kind of thing yeah. that could have been the literally the only I had it's not like I would have bought the stock I owned it it was in my portfolio all I had to do was leave it there and I literally would never have had a financial worry in my life um, so there's a good argument for for putting your nest egg away first yeah yeah it's just like you said just good advice mm -hmm. it always works right mm -hmm. um and these are good reminders for me because, mm -hmm. again, I have had that fund and I don't have it specifically set up right now. Mm -hmm. And that's something I want to go do right now, now mm -hmm. that we're talking about this. Um, so the next point is invest. I feel like we we jumped there already. Mm -hmm. Is there anything we need to say more about that? Um, I don't know. Uh, it's really important. It can be fun too, right? Um, that's, uh, that's something that you have to learn to enjoy as much as you enjoy a vacation, right? The, the, the thrill of financial growth, which you can only get if you put your money to work. So um, it's just a skill you need to learn young and just stick with it, I guess. I like that. Um, the next step is college. I'm kind of not super on board with this one because I personally really feel that there's a lot of value in paying for your own education but I do think that it's nice to have some sort of fund set up for your kids whether you're paying for college or just helping them with anything along the way that there there might be yeah I feel like there's points as your children grow that you might want to give them a little boost sure and it's nice to have something set aside whether you're yeah whether I, it's specifically an education fund or whatever or, right? yeah whatever um, it is yeah I mean most most parents for sure aspire to do that and uh, it depends on the makeup of your family, too. Obviously, um, you know, if you're a typical Canadian family and you have 1.7 children, uh, it's a little more manageable, right? In our family, of course, eight children. And the idea that you're going to give everybody a check to send them off to school probably wasn't, wasn't practical for us, right? But, of course, you and I have talked about this. I feel like our kids uh, have benefited from that more than they've been disadvantaged because you and uh, many of your siblings have learned to tough it out and learned the value of money and working for what you get. And so 
for the most part, certainly my married children that are old enough to be married uh, are making some pretty smart choices, I think, partly because they weren't, we, you know, we didn't give you guys too many free passes financially. You had to kind of work for what you got. I got a vacuum cleaner and a really amazing pillow that I still use today <laughs> when I went off to university. And We did that for you or yeah. was that from somebody else? That was for, that was for mom. <laughs> okay. She did the shopping, but right. you gave me a hug too. So. <laughs> Good. But yeah, I, I feel like for myself, I, I really valued my education. There wasn't mm. a moment where I sat in a class thinking that I was only here because my parents wanted me to be mm -hmm. or were paying for it or anything like that because you weren't. Nope. Um, I was there because I wanted to be and and, it, that, and that really mattered to me. So anyways, but, but still important to think about how you want to approach that anyways, if nothing else, so that you're not at that point in your life thinking, hmm, wish I'd saved for this sure. or wish I had some money or... I don't know. But even just to think about college, like just the fact, I remember you saying at one point in my life growing up, I don't know why this was, but you were talking to a friend's family and you were just unimpressed with the level of education that the kids were pursuing or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so you said, Jen, say it with me. University. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, 13 or something. So I said it with you. University. So, but even getting your kids really excited, like, sure. not that we, like, not that we necessarily expect this of you and you're not valued unless mm -hmm. you seek higher level, but that, but that it's okay to want that for yourself. And mm -hmm. that I remember I was even looking into dental hygiene at one point because mm -hmm. I thought, well, if I want to be home with my kids, that's a really, I get a lot of bang for my buck in terms of how much you get paid versus how much education. And you kind of said, well, you know, is there anything you'd like to do more as an actual job? Is there any sort of schooling you'd actually enjoy more? And that's when I looked at teaching instead. Sure. So equally as important as saving for it, I think, is just planning for that piece with your kids. Right. Um, but we're getting off the financial track here. What's um, the next one? Next one is pay off your house. Okay. That's a good thing to do. Yeah. Not something we talk about, like I said, a lot these days. Interest rates are not very high. You, you know what's frustrating to me is that people don't understand the dynamics of how mortgages work. Um, that you can, you know, typically... First-time home buyer goes into the process and they default to either a 25 or 30-year mortgage uh, because that's just what you do and they're trying to squeeze into as nice houses they can kind of get qualified for. And so they just assume that, okay, we start at 30 and we count down. That's the way it goes, right? Right. Uh, it's always been my goal to every time my mortgage comes up for a new renewal, if I if it was a 15-year amortization period and let's say it's only a one-year term, then next time it comes up for renewal, I say, can I take it not down to 14 years? Could I take it to 12 years? Could I take it to 10 years, yeah. right? What would the payment be? And what we discover is by paying about 20% more in your mortgage, you can literally half the time that it takes you to pay off your mortgage. Do you think... Most people know that because I feel like no. that's not common knowledge. No, I don't think people understand it at all. Right? Like, are you hearing what he's saying? You can reduce your mortgage by half by paying 20% more. Yeah, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Maybe even less. Like, I feel yeah, like. It might be less, actually. I, I feel like the I. Recently. 
um, split my, I have a, on our rental property, our mortgage is probably pretty average to yeah. what most starter homes and mm. or young families are paying on their mortgage. And I increased, um, sorry, decreased the time by half that mm. it, the amortization period. What was it to begin with? At like 30, okay, a so lot, you, see, 35 it works, years or It works 30 better years. when you're going from a very long amortization period to a short, short right. one. It doesn't work as well when your mortgage is five years got left and you mm. try to reduce it to totally. two and a half. But it was yeah. long and we were at the beginning sure. of it. And I looked at how much we were paying in interest mm. and how little that... Was going to principal. Oh my gosh, yeah. it was so depressing because yeah. we felt like, oh, we've been paying yeah. this for five years. And it was like, we have $10,000 equity more in our house or well, like 20 and, it wasn't very much and conversely once you switch it over to a 15 or 14 or 13 year mortgage um and then you look at the amount that's being allocated to principal it's like more than half and you think oh that's pretty cool i didn't just make an interest payment this month i increased the value of my equity by a thousand dollars exactly right? sure. so i think and this might be crazy but i think i am not paying more than like three or four hundred dollars more on the that sounds right yeah yeah i think it might have it's probably closer yeah. to four now when i renewed it the last time it was closer to and, and three. so you took it from from because 30 to 15 is that yeah. what you're saying so think about that 15 years yeah. of no payments so by the time i'm 43 yeah i won't have a mortgage on that house done, versus done. yeah what is that you'll be better at the math than i am 48, for 58, pardon me. Yeah, 58. Yeah. That's a huge difference. Yes, it is. Um, huge difference in what you get to do. So I'll literally be getting, if I don't sell the house, which I could do, I would be just getting $2,000 a month. Yes, free cash flow, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's going to be, that's assuming, well, rents will go up by then, so it'll yeah. be, be $4,000 a month, right? But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's freedom, right? That's... That's freedom, it's flexibility, it's not being obliged to, to be indebted to somebody and to, that the next 15 years of your life now are already committed in advance to the bank because they got their hooks in you. That's not a good feeling. No, it's really not. So, so last principle is um, to, what was it? Give. And I really like that too because it really... I didn't read the chapter on, on this one, but it to me that really sets you up early as you're saving to become a generous person yeah. now, even if that's not financial, but yeah. that you just kind of have that in your head. We're, we're not doing this to so that, show off. Yeah, to right? show off. So I can to buy be, more shoes. So I can be Scrooge sitting in my money counting. room counting. <laughs> this is like... To bless the lives of the people around Yeah, me. how can I yeah. learn to be generous now so that eventually if and when I have mm. a little bit extra, I'm I'm looking to bless the world and mm. other people around sure. me. Um, and, and change it for the better with the extra time, extra whatever you have because you don't have a mortgage and you yeah. don't have debt and you don't have all those things that were saddling you yeah. before. I mean, to their credit, when you see, you know, some of the richest men in the world, Warren Buffett's or Bill Gates or whatever, they've obviously gotten well past the point that their money is meaningful to them in the sense of improving their lifestyle. They're kind right. of way, it's way just... And so what do they do with it? Do they buy an island or a country or something. No, it's silliness, right? What they do is they look for ways. I mean, the the Bill and Melinda, Belinda, Melinda Gates, whatever. I don't know. 
uh, foundation is um, it, they just look for ways to use their resources to make the world a better place. I mean, that's that's just as good as it gets, right? So, um, so yeah, I think you're right. We should have that same focus if we uh, if we abide by these principles and we see the success that can come as a result then uh, we do it for, for that purpose, to, to help others. Yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. um, before we end, we quickly Googled this because we kind of talked about it at the end. Actually, you had a quote. Did you want to read that? Oh, I don't think I have it now. Um, um, but I'll talk. If you find it, then that's fine. But uh, we quickly Googled marital discord and the, the things that tend to factor into that the most. And I read three articles, the first three articles, on Google and every single one listed finances as the first um, discord causer, basically. I don't know how else to say that. Yeah. I mean, people that counsel others will say that often uh, financial mismanagement is the number one cause of marital breakdown, divorce, and, and problems. And right? stress, right? Yeah. Because the opposite of peace as like we've talked about peace a lot, how to have financial peace in your life. That the opposite of that is stress, anxiety, incongruence, all those things, right? That just don't make don't make you feel good and don't make you feel good about the person that you're with, essentially, right? Right. Uh, just I mean, there's enough stuff going on in life without just intentionally creating that kind of additional layer of stress in your life. If you if you can reasonably avoid it and I think we can so, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. so to recap um on this I just I've felt this way since my first year of university where I, when I took an economics class and I kind of started to understand a little bit more about you know what consumer debt could possibly mean sure. for <laughs> for our world right mm -hmm. now and, and for you personally and for me personally and how I wanted to manage my life going forward, I, I just really felt like what we're looking for in terms of, you know, a lot of people joke about, uh, you know, we're, we're planning for the zombie apocalypse. My opinion is that we're not going to have to worry about a zombie apocalypse. We are going to have to worry about something debt-related um, causing a very great schism in the next few years probably i mm. i just don't see so not not world war z maybe world war d for debt right <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i just feel like there's no i don't know maybe i'm just paranoid but there's no way that we can keep just spending and spending and spending yeah. money without having it with no like we're 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 building things on nothing on it's it's funny when we talk about catastrophes that could happen in the world everybody is so juiced about global warming and how that it's going to be the end of the world i got news for you the trouble that will happen in the world as a result from mismanagement of personal and national debt will will dwarf anything yeah. that we'll see in and guess what if global warming exists then you'll be helping it by buying less stuff sure. and contributing. Like, you just don't need all the stuff You'll you're buying. You'll be doing your part. It just, yeah. it makes everything better yeah. if you just get rid of your debt. Just do it. It's not, uh, what is the saying? It's not, happiness comes not from having what we want, but in wanting what we have, being content with the, the good things in our lives. So Exactly.
Well, thanks for coming out, Dad. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Have a great week, everyone.